What is the Rebbe's opinion about children learning math, science, and English? I'm hesitant to answer the question. Not because I'm unsure what the answer is, but because I'm, I, the wording of the question doesn't allow me to understand the spirit of how the question is being asked. In other words, I don't know who you are. I don't know from where this question is coming from. So all I can do is answer it. It's very difficult for me to answer you because you're not giving me enough information to have a context how the question is being asked. So I'm just going to answer the question. But I'm going to preface by telling you a story. There's a book that was published a few years ago by the Mishpacha of Matasov. The Shlema Matasov Mishpacha printed a sefer about his Shlichas in Morocco. The, the first effort at Shlichas that the Rebbe started as soon as he became a Rebbe was in Morocco. Ten days after the Friedrich ever passed away, the Rebbe wrote a letter to Michal Lipsker, Oliver Shalom, that you go on a Shlichas to Morocco, which he did. And uh, he was a Shlich in Meknas. And then a little while later, he was joined by Rebbe Shleim Matasov. And then subsequently, there was a whole bunch of other Shluchim that went to Morocco. Some of them still live there. Uh, Rebbe in Raskin and uh, Harav Edelman and his Rebbe and so on. But at one point, the Shlichas to Morocco was very big, very successful. The Shlichas to Morocco, to a great extent, was over uh, before I was born <laughs> or when I was very little. Because when the Shluchim went to Morocco, Morocco had hundreds of thousands of Jews. Hundreds of thousands of Jews. Within a decade and a half or two, the vast majority of those Jews left. A significant percentage of them went to Eretz Yisrael, and others went to French colonies. That means to Canada or to France. Because Morocco was a French colony at one point. And uh, the Shlichus to Morocco was a success for two reasons. They brought the Chadorim, they brought the Yeshivas, which Sfardim didn't have so much to the Moroccans where they lived. And when they moved from Morocco to Canada and to France and to Eretz Yisrael, the Shluchim received them. And the Shlichas continued, so to speak, on the other side, in the places where they had arrived. And there are probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Yidin today who were either totally from Shem Yitzhah Mitzvah, or at least uh, more involved in Tehidah Mitzvah because of this Shlichas. So the, the Mishpacha, the Mishpacha of Matasov published this book describing the extent, the length and breadth of the Shlichis as it, uh, to Morocco, specifically as relates to their father, who it appears had the, had the most broad responsibility. And one of the things that they describe is a debate that went on between the Shlichis Matasov and the joint. The joint was paying the bills. The joint probably paid 80% of the saw, and the, the, there was no money. Moroccan Jews had no money. The money came from out of the country. And it wasn't money that came from 770. The Rebbe had no money. It was, the joint was an organization of Jews who gave exorbitant amounts of tzedakah, enormous amounts of tzedakah. As a rule, they were not from Jews. They were not religious Jews. They were incredibly generous, incredibly kind. You know, I, every once in a while, people like you and I, or at least I, have to stop and think about it. They saved my life. My father came from Russia. They, they gave him an opportunity to start his life over. As all the Yidin who came after the war, these Jews who were not religious, not only helped us establish ourselves, they helped us establish ourselves from Jews. And they were paying the bills. They visited Morocco. 
and they tried very hard to be sensitive to the mission of shlichus. In other words, they didn't want to interfere with the inner workings of what Labavitch was trying to do, but they wanted to maximize their money they were investing. And they found a lot of inefficiency. There were so many schools, 50 or 60. Sometimes these schools were in tiny villages with four or five students. The teachers weren't paid well, the classrooms weren't normal, there was not enough books. And another very big issue was that there were so many students who were feral. They were not city people. They were not accustomed to sitting in a classroom and sitting still and behaving and learning. So they proposed to shut down a lot of these smaller institutions and to build two or three proper schools, proper schools with classrooms and blackboards and desks and books and notebooks and pencils and real schools where the kids would behave and the kids would be educated and the kids would be given a regimen and they would grow up, mention. And one of the many criteria that they set was that the children who would come to school would have to be willing to learn. And a child who's uninterested in learning would not be allowed to attend. And uh, Rabbi Matasov said, no cigar, he's not closing a single mic. He said, any Jewish child who wants to come to school is going to be allowed, even if he's not a perfect student or if he's not a student at all, because it's pikuch it's nefesh. It was a big bone of contention. And for a number of years, they fought back and forth. And on top of all of these issues, there was the other issue of Kaidish. The Rebbe wanted that the Moises Chabad in Morocco, which was not teaching Lubavitcher children at all, should be Kula Kaidish, should be only Lumud Kaidish, should learn any Chayl, no secular learning. And of course, for a secular Jew who's paying the bills, this was an incredibly difficult pill to swallow. And they argued for years about it. And at one point, they said to Rabbi Matisov, that they'll go along with any condition he wants on Chinuch, any condition he wants on Chinuch, except for one. And the one condition they wouldn't go along with is, quote, he's not allowed to take advice from overseas. He's not allowed to seek counsel from overseas. Because they understood that Reb Shleim Matasov, as big a chassid as he was, didn't have this kind of resolve to not only insist on keeping open a bunch of schools that were very poor, but at least it gave Yiddish a kinderach something. And that it was more important that every single child should attend, even children who were going to make trouble and disrupt so that every Yiddish kid should get a taste of Yiddishkeit, but they wouldn't even allow for him with They knew that the only person who had that kind of principle was the Rebbe sitting in Brooklyn. And we're not talking about Labavitcher Moistis for Labavitcher children. And they said to Rabbi Matasov, we'll agree to all your terms, but you have to make your decisions on yourself. You can't seek counsel from overseas. So his answer to them was that, listen, there's other Moistis in France, in, in Morocco at the time, there was Alliance and others. Everybody seeks counsel from overseas. Why can't I? The end of the story was that at a Durgefiat, the Rebbe continued getting support from the joint according to his desire. It was a Mercedes Nefesh. He was risking everything. But he wouldn't bend. The reason I'm telling the story is because I don't think there are too many stories that reveal how Kitsoni, how extreme the Rebbe was about this. The idea of Limud Echol in a Moisat Chinuch, in an educational institute of Torah and Hasidus, was to the Rebbe very, very foreign. Um, this is before my time. I wasn't born when the Rebbe spoke to Sikha of Simchas Teret of 1955-56. But there's a transcript, the Sikha is available. Um, when you look at the transcript, it says that the Rebbe kept on saying that the only reason he's able to speak as sharply as he was speaking is because it was Simchas Teret. 
And there's an expression from the Rabbeim, Simchas Teire Shatnish. Simchas you can speak uh, with an aggressiveness, with a, a form and a language which otherwise would be a danger to the people that you're talking to when a Rebbe at Tzadik speaks. And it also says in Natsikh that the Rebbe used incredibly sharp expressions which are not all recorded. In other words, we don't even have a full version of it. But the Rebbe was so upset about the idea that educating a Yiddish child should involve Limudichol. And you need to understand the perspective of the Rebbe. The perspective of the Rebbe is that Jewish education is thousands of years old. We're the inventors of education. The first community of people who gave all of their children an education, whether they can afford it or not, were Jews. Jews had chadodim in the darkest of times, in the darkest of places. And the poor kids went to school. The public school system, which allows all children to go to school, is less than 200 years old. The idea that every single child gets an education, at least till a certain age, is uniquely, it's ours. And Jewish education was always about reading, teaching a child how to be a Jew. To believe in God, and to practice Tate and mitzvahs, and to refine his character, to be an honest and upstanding person. This is what a cheder was. The idea that you go to school, and that the school is about preparing a child for making a panasa, was never a part of it. It was not how chadarim were. It was not the design, it wasn't the plan, it wasn't the idea. It wasn't the purpose. And what bothered the Rebbe so much was that Haredi Jews came to America, what they call ultra-Orthodox Jews, right-wing Jews came to America, and they all accepted that in America, children from the earliest of ages are going to spend a half a day learning the Medichal. No one even challenged it. No one even questioned it. And this bothered the Rebbe very deeply. Because the Rebbe said, we survived the war, we come to a land that's free, get us an opportunity to do with our children as we wish, after the underground Chadodim in the Soviet Union and all these places, and nobody even says, wait a minute, a child of four, five, six, seven years old, at this early stage in his life, he needs to learn Limudichol, because it's negated to his future. That's not Cheder. It's not what Yiddishkeit has been doing for hundreds of years, thousands of years. It's not what we should be doing now. And the Rebbe had a very hard line position about it. The Rebbe insisted that at least until nine, children should not learn any Limudichol. And that means literally reading and writing. And the Rebbe said if he would have his way, he would postpone it later and even later. But there's no question that the words of the Rebbe, and more importantly, the spirit of the Rebbe's words, is that the Rebbe feels that it's not educating education for a child. A child, you teach her to be a Yid. When he becomes an adult, he'll think about how he's going to make up a nos, or you give him the, school, the skills necessary to make up a nos. But a cheder, a yeshiva, where a child goes to learn Torah, is about learning how to be a yid, period. And I don't think there's any way to, 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 um, to muffle, to modify to, so to speak, put a cap or a limit on the power with which the Rebbe communicated this message. Now, of course, in, in a different circumstance, in a different time, in a different place, the Rebbe would hold, if, if the question of giving a Jewish child a little bit, of, little bit of Jewish education, as opposed to no Jewish education, Rahman al-Islam, would require a lot of libudichol, of course, it's the pukuach nefesh. 
But when a, cha, a chassid is raising his children according to the spirit of the Rebbe, the Rebbe made it very, very clear what his position is, that learning chokhmas chitainiyas, secular knowledge, even mathematics, and certainly, and English, but certainly more, more sophisticated areas, more precise areas of secular learning, like science and social science, it should be delayed as much as possible. And in general, it's not a part of what, you, what you're giving your child. It's a skill that you need, it's information that you need to have as an adult. But what you're giving your child is the Eivishter and Yiddishkeit, to the exclusion of everything else. I don't think there's any other way to understand the Rebbe's philosophy. And I'm, again, I'm repeating, I don't know who's asking the question, I don't know the spirit with which the question is being asked, so all I can do is answer the question generically, directly. And I don't know any other way to present the Rebbe's view other than the one I just gave.